In the beginning of the history of experimental observation or any other kind of observation on scientific things, it's intuition. It's intuition. Which is really based... Welcome to Two Shrinks Pod. My name's Amy Donaldson. And I'm Hunter Morecare. Uh, welcome back after our long break. Today we're going to be talking about Harry Potter. So the episode title is Harry Potter and the Pathological Personalities. The way that this came about is that Hunter and I often watch Harry Potter, perhaps a little too frequently. And while doing so, we started diagnosing the characters and arguing about who would fit which diagnosis. And so we decided that following on from our personality disorders series last year, that we would go through all the personality disorders and figure out which Harry Potter characters fit. So a little bit about personality disorders. They are listed in the Diagnostical Statistical Manual 5, which is used to diagnose mental health problems. And in this book, um, they talk about different symptoms that are related to each disorder. And in, if you listen to the podcast series we did last year, we talked about the theories to explain each of these personality disorders and how they're treated. So this pod today will be much more fun and should be hopefully about bringing all that information together in a way. And if you are a Harry Potter fan, a mm. pothead? A pothead, pothead. yep. <laughs> I don't think that's the official term, but I no, like I'm it. I'm sure it is. <laughs> anyway, then it should be a bit of fun as well. So format, okay. So we're going to go through each of the personality disorders. We're going to discuss which characters exhibit traits or full-blown personality disorder symptoms. We're going to introduce each character, then argue for a particular diagnosis and present or discuss differential diagnoses Mm -hmm. where we think they might be appropriate. You'll notice that with perhaps the exception of Luna Lovegood, we have avoided making personality diagnoses on the child and teenage characters. The reason for this is that personality is not fully formed and you don't, from a clinical perspective, don't make personality disorder diagnoses on people who are under 18, I guess. Yeah, so, that's right. So if there's a good response to this episode, we may do an episode on the kids and, and other yeah. mental disorders. We could fill an entire podcast series with trauma-related disorders and the Look, children, I think. I, Amy did want to perhaps just like do, do each, each disorder again, just like last year. Yeah, but, but with Harry Potter. <laughs> like, All the same with the kids stuff. Anyway. Amy's getting too excited. So there are three clusters of personality disorders. They're clusters A, B, and C, or affectionately known in clinical circles as the mad, bad, and sad clusters. Much to Amy's pleasure, we will do each cluster in order and each PD in order of how they're presented in the DSM. Fantastic. (laughs) And to make things a bit more interesting at the end of each cluster, I'm going to give Amy who is a bigger pothead, uh, a little quiz and test her Harry Potter knowledge. So that should be a bit of fun. The final warning, what's that? Well, just I'm concerned about this quiz because you've been guarding it with so much paranoia that that I don't know what the stakes are. <laughs> what do you mean? Like other than personal and professional reputation, oh, is no, there just, anything else? No, it's just personal and professional reputation. Oh, no, it's, it won't be too hard. Okay, there's, cool. there's like a mixture of hard and stuff. And so like if, if you're all listening at home, you should hopefully find it interesting. Cool. And I will take questions for the next pod. If we do that, you can message us at twoshringspod at gmail.com. And we're also on Twitter, which is twoshringspod. And you can also visit our website, Mm. Um, And we also love it when people rate and review the show. 
Okay, ready? Should we start? Yes. So the final warning is that this pod is definitely going to be containing Harry Potter spoilers. Yes. Right? And we will be saying the Dark Lord's name. <laughs> so we're going to start with cluster A, which is the odd and eccentric cluster. Mm-hmm. Amy, over to you. So I'm kicking us off today with paranoid personality disorder. This disorder, it's a pattern of distrust and suspiciousness so that other people's motives are interpreted as malevolent. So the first one, and I think this one came to us the quickest out of all of them that we've covered just about, apart from one other exception perhaps, as so clearly fitting with one of the characters. So Filch, the Hogwarts caretaker, seems to just fit this to a T. So I'm going to take you through the criteria and how I think it fits. So Filch, for those who don't quite remember, he's the caretaker and he has a cat, Mrs Norris, and Mm. Filch is continually battling with students. Yeah, and he's first sort of described as the Hogwarts caretaker, a bad-tempered failed wizard who waged a constant war against the students. And he's kind of, in both the books and the movies, he's frightening at different points and then sort of ridiculous and being undermined consistently. Like there's this weird tension between going, you could be a really creepy dude and it's hilarious how wound up you get about things and how can we push these buttons? Yeah. So I would say that Filch meets every criteria. So often with the personality disorders, you need a certain amount of them to meet criteria and it can be a bit of a combo. But for Filch, I was able to find things that fit everything. So first of all, he suspects without sufficient basis that others are exploiting, harming or deceiving him or her. So he's kind of hated by all the students. But there's a question about whether it's brought up by him or by them. He's so suspicious of them and so then they feel watched and monitored and then they feed into that. Or did the students start it or is it just this perpetual never-ending cycle? Yeah. Who knows? Uh, He's also watching other people with suspicion all of the time. Like his basic opinion of the world is that someone's going to be doing something bad Mm. at some point. And he gets Mrs Norris to help him out with this, to kind of survey everybody. He's also preoccupied with unjustified doubts about the loyalty or trustworthiness of friends and associates. So even though he approaches most situations with suspiciousness, he does seem to have a network of people around him who care about him. Like there are different times when he gets distressed, so when Mrs Norris is attacked. Mm. And the other teachers actually care for him, but it doesn't seem to be reciprocated. He's still still that wariness Mm. around them. Yeah, the only one that he does know that wariness is Dolores Umbridge. In yeah, the, in who also matches his suspiciousness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And sort of fuels it as well, like oh, encourages it. Oh, it totally takes advantage of it. Yeah, plays into that paranoia. Uh, he also is reluctant to confide in others because of unwarranted fear that the information will be used maliciously against him or her. So he doesn't seem to have friends other than Mrs Norris and he doesn't seem to communicate with other people about himself unless it's some way that he's been slighted. Otherwise, it's all about complaints about other people's behaviour. It's kind of got this externalising focus. Mm, mm, mm. Tricky to know whether he has this unwarranted fear or not, but you can kind of join some dots together and think, "Mm, that could be going on there. Yeah, I mean, in the books, there's one of the times where Harry's left alone in his office and then Harry sees some stuff about him being a squib squib and learning how to use magic. Mm. And he comes in 
And I think Harry's just managed to get the, the note back into where it was or something. Yeah. But he's very, very worried about that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, I guess the only problem I have with this diagnosis yeah. is for Filch is that some of the paranoia he's got is actually justified. Legitimate. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he – and he is – some of the students do pick on him and oh, kind yeah, of definitely. tease him and stuff like that, like Fred and George. Yeah. Really go for it. And it's the same. I tossed up about his relationship with Peeves as well, about whether – they peeves, stir peeves one another. The yeah. Yeah. So Filch is constantly paranoid and trying to get Peeves out of the castle. Like yeah. he wants him gone. But then at the same time, <laughs> Peeves does stuff to stir him up. Yeah. Like knocks over cabinets and stuff like that. So it's kind of it's justifiable, but the intensity of it doesn't seem to match. Yeah. It kind of and I think that's the thing with Filch. It's kind of like, yes, you'd be annoyed, but also But it's too much is what you respond saying. with so much that then kids in particular yeah. and a childlike ghost. <laughs> Yeah. are really going to go for it. Like yeah. It's going to be like, okay, cool, we can go for this. Yeah, and he's known for being paranoid and they play off it. Yeah. So yeah. so he also sort of reads hidden demeaning or threatening meanings yeah. into things. Like so before, yeah. Yeah, so the children's mistakes are viewed as deliberate slights. You know, he records them as crimes. Yeah. And they seems to be they seem to be perceived as crimes towards him as well. It's not just that they've, you know, gotten mud on the floor. It's that they've done that deliberately to upset him. Yeah. There's sort of a personal element to it. Uh, he persistently bears grudges. So, you know, even if he catches them doing something that's against the rules, he enjoys it. It's not just that it's sort of like, oh, there is I'm a, going to have to punish you. There's a lot of satisfaction around like, oh, I've got you finally. Yeah, you know, that kind exactly. Of yeah. It proves my point. And he keeps records of children that he's punished mm. over years. So he's kind of, there's a element of it of a cumulative kind of thing going. It's not just that you've made this mistake or you've done this thing. It's that look at all the other things you've done. Yep. And then after Mrs. Norris is attacked, he punishes all the students, even though there's only one who's responsible. It's kind of like, well, no, I'm blanketly bearing a grudge against everybody. Yep. He also perceives attacks on his character or reputation that are not apparent to others. And I think probably a good example of this is the one that you mentioned about Harry. Mm. So Harry doesn't realise what it is that he's read. He thinks it's a bit odd that Filch has this thing about, yep. you know, learning spells and why would he need that? But Harry hasn't been a part of the magic community long enough to know what a squib is. He doesn't know that it's a mm. judged thing. He's kind of just curious. And yet Filch reacts with this intense anger and defensiveness. Mm, I don't know. Because like later on you hear Voldemort talking about, oh, you know, something, something, something and the squib. Yeah. Like, so I think Harry's a, a sort of a, a bit of an exception. Whereas I, I would say so just the rule. like Most, most people most would. Pe- like a lot yeah. of people would look down on him. Yeah. But so. Harry... But he kind of assumes that Harry's already doing that, doesn't he? Yeah. Which could be justified. It could not be. Yeah. I mean, I don't Depending think that Filch seems like he's the smartest, uh, no. the sharpest tool in the shed. No. You know. And you don't know how he was treated being a squib. Like, yeah. it's yeah. being from a magical family. Yeah. See, because this would be this kind of thing. It's like, you know, is it paranoia or is this someone who's been socialized to be suspecting bad and malicious behavior after years of exposure to teenage students and then I guess maybe a family environment where yeah. he was like traumatized or kind of forced to try attempt to do magic and kind of demeaned or something like that. And I'm that. assuming that he was sent to Hogwarts and then wasn't able to do 
things as well. I don't know that there's anything about his childhood, but if he's from a wizarding family But you don't just get UK, sent to Hogwarts because there's like a whole passage about yeah. Neville Longbottom and he doesn't – they were suddenly relieved when he got his letter and like yeah. relieved because they, they kept they trying thought. to – They thought. Like, they were trying to hang him out the window or something and he yeah. fell and then he landed right or something like that. So, yeah, they were concerned so, that he wasn't enough. So I don't think you automatically get no, it. No, I so. wonder if he was, if anyone knows. Yep, at a yeah. two strings pod. And the very last thing is that they, you know, the criteria that he doesn't fit is that they have recurrent suspicions without justification regarding the fidelity of his spouse or sexual partner. And I guess we've we've had a few sort of conversations about whether Mrs. Norris qualifies as his romantic partner. The, um, the, I'm going to put that one as that it's not we, it's you that's had that <laughs> discussion. Although when we did watch, we went, Amy and I went and saw Goblet of Fire yeah. uh, recently with an orchestra playing music, which was awesome. It was. and But there was a bit where he's dancing with Mrs. Norris. It does. He calls her my doubt. Like there's a lot of affectionate pet names. There's... She's really the only one he genuinely cares You're about. You're the whole cat. Look, I'm a cat person. Community. Yes, you I are. just, yeah. <laughs> but I also, the one last thing about Filch that I don't know what you think about this is that there's some level of maliciousness there yep. that seems to go above and beyond this. He talks about wanting to bring back the old punishments and things like that, like hanging people by their ankles. Yeah. It's got that antisocial edge to it. I don't think he goes there otherwise, but like, it seems more than paranoia, that kind of, he looks... He's the angry, angry individual. Yeah. 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 All, All right, right, next one. So, so the next personality disorder in the DCM is schizoid. And so schizoid personality disorder is a pervasive pattern of detachment from social relationships and a restricted range of emotional expression. It's sort of this like kind of withdrawn, detached individual. Mm-hmm. One that character in popular literature was main character in Remains of the Day, which was yeah. a book and a movie. And the movie is played by Anthony Hopkins. Sort of this... Sort of uh, recluse kind of, hmm. you know, awkward hmm. individual. Doesn't seem to fit with society. Yeah, and, oh, but also, so this idea of that they don't, it's not so much they don't fit, but it's that they don't want they to. They don't want to, like, yeah. So the drive, as opposed to say someone who's socially anxious and is awkward, mm. schizoid, uh, and, and so, so if you're socially anxious and you're awkward, you then, you find it hard to have relationships. Yeah. Whereas schizoids... They don't, don't really want, want them. them. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like They're not ab- seen as There's kind of like an absence of a personality mm. versus, say, the other ones where there's a disordered, yeah. mixed up personality. So the I, I was really uncertain about this one. Uh, so I think this one we had the most sort of yes, no, I don't know. So, so the character that I, I have come across that I thought was Professor Snape, Severus yeah. Snape, I, I wasn't convinced. But then I once I looked through the criteria in preparation, I was like, yeah, I reckon he's got schizoid traits of coldness and detachment or isolation. Mm. So you need four of the following symptoms. So neither desires or, en- or enjoys close relationships, including being part of a family. So I'd say with the exception of Lily Potter, he shows no affection for relationships with anyone. No. Even those in his own house because no. he's a master of Slytherin. He almost always chooses solitary activities. Yep. Potions seem solitary. Yeah. Like to me. So, but it's not a lot of detail given. Has little or if any interest in sexual experiences with other people. So again, only Lily. So I'm not sure that he would really meet that one. Takes pleasure in few if any activities. I mean, we're lacking detail with him, so I don't know whether Mm. that's true. Lacks close friends or confidence other than first-degree relatives. So, again, unclear. But he does appear consistently uncomfortable and distant, even when under the cover with Death Eaters. Like, so you'd think that, oh, you know, maybe he would play it up Mm. or anything, but his demeanour doesn't change. No. 
you know, he appears indifferent to the praise or criticism of others. He's definitely indifferent to the moods of the students, Harry or Draco, mm. and all that of the Dark Lord. Yeah. Like he, doesn't, he doesn't crave no, Voldemort. No, he doesn't fawn. He doesn't fawn, but he doesn't, he, but like it's kind of absent. Mm. Like he's like, he's just running his own agenda. Yeah. He's like, this is what it is. It's more mm. like I'm right or wrong. He'll appease him if he has to, but it's not with any sort of emo- like emotional thing behind it. I don't, I don't even think he appeases it. it. It's like, so there's, you know, in the Deathly Hallows, yeah. at the end they're all sitting around the table and and he's got some information about Harry being transported. Yeah. And some other people saying, oh, you know, Harry's going to be transported on this. And, and Snape's like, no, it's not this. It's yeah. this. And he's kind of... Just, he's pretty blunt. He's pretty blunt, but, he's, he, but he doesn't... He's not... Whereas, like, there's a few other people, like, uh, cowering or, like, yeah. fawning. Bellatrix is really like, oh, And he my only God, occasionally refers to him as my lord, doesn't he? It's not frequent. Oh, uh, yeah. I think it's just sort of more of a formal... Mm. Um, so, and then I guess really he definitely shows us the coldness of detachment, flattened activity. Yeah. So, activity is like your emotional affect. Mm. So that's most definitely, and that's his whole persona. So I'd say he's got schizoid traits. I would say you would need more information, perhaps mm. from confidence about how, how he lives in the world. Yeah. And a greater detail of history from him. I also... If you, if, if you wanted to have that, so... I also query about the, you know, what you are shown shows a big difference between him as a child and adolescence to later. Like there's still the flatness, but... There's genuine warmth towards Lily and there's genuine, like, he seems like a bit of an odd kid, but there's also that element of... We're discovering it together. Yeah, reaching it out, reaching out to Lily and kind of enjoying her perspective on the world and enjoying when she finds things funny Which which would run counter to a schizoid. Exactly, yeah. And... Yeah, which I, I've got to say, I think that was some of the best writing in the whole series. Yeah. I, I just was like, was, I was so unexpected and loved it. The Yeah, I mean, so what, the final thought I had was like, what you do see aside from that mm. is mostly he does actually have emotional reactions. Mm. It's just that they're negative and disapproving or disgust. Yeah. They're not absent. Yeah. Whereas I would, I would, and I'm not, I'm no expert on schizoid personality disorder. They feel contained but, rather yeah. than. So yeah. Yeah, another theory I would say is that it's sort of controlled and obsessive mixed with a grief depressiveness mm. is kind of where I sort of landed. But yeah. I definitely say schizoid traits. Mm. Right. Next one. Okay. So the next one is schizotypal. Schizotypal is a pervasive pattern of social and interpersonal deficits marked by acute discomfort with and reduced capacity for close relationships, as well as by cognitive or perceptual distortions and eccentricities of behaviour. So the one that, that really seems to fit for this for me is uh, Professor Trelawney. So she's the divination professor. Yeah, so she's the one that predicts Harry's doom all the time and stuff exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah. So you need five or more for, for this personality disorder. And I think she meets eight out of the nine. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, j- just quickly before we get into it. Yeah. So if you think about schizotypal personality is known to exist on a continuum with, mm. with a disorder called schizophrenia where and schizophrenia you have delusions and um, hallucinations as well as sort of yeah. some other things. And so schizotypal is sort of thought to be a less extreme version of that and sort of more, a bit more personality versus sort of like always having weird hallucinations and stuff like that. Yeah. More that they have them on on occasion or weird perceptual disorder. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to try and whip through this. I did, Hunter, we'll see how long my notes are for this (laughs) one. I I went on a bit of a... 
a rant. Let's, let's, go. Um, let's go. Yeah. So I don't think she has ideas of reference in particular. So what's ideas of reference? So that's of kind of thinking ideas or delusions of reference is thinking that things are happening because of you that aren't. Mm-hmm. So, for example, all that things are directed towards you. So a common one is people thinking that ads on the TV are speaking directly to them. Yeah. The graffiti in the wall is telling that it yeah. was written to signal For something me. to them about something. Yeah. yeah. I don't really see much about, about that. And that's probably the one that I haven't found something that fits. The second one is about odd beliefs or magical thinking that influences behaviour and is inconsistent with subcultural norms. So the idea of this one, it includes the subcultural norms thing to kind of rule out stuff around religion or sort of community beliefs, things like that. And even though she's in a magical community, the the powers and things that she speaks about seem to be dismissed by even people in the magical community. The one that, you know, jumps out at me quite a lot is McGonagall's perception of her. She's often sort of rolling her eyes saying that, you know, she doesn't need to worry about things. She alludes to the fact that Trelawney isn't a true seer, that she's sort of just making it up. There's a line where she she talks about someone else being the last known true seer and then sort of trails off saying, oh, but Professor Trelawney and then says nothing. Oh, really? Yeah. So she's she's quite critical of it. Dumbledore also says that she's only made two genuine predictions in her lifetime. Mm. So, and yet they keep her around. She mm. makes all these predictions all the time. She, I have a theory about keeping her around, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> she she does things like predicts every year that one of the students in the class will die mm. in the first class. And so she does this with Harry and, of course, everyone really takes it seriously because Harry's often at risk. But it turns out that she does that every year. Yeah. And so there are some things that kind of seem to fit with what the wizarding world believes, but then there are yeah, there's um, sort of a doubt. Hermione's scathing. Exactly. And, and there's a bit where I think one of the Patiole girls yep. like is upset and it's like one of the pets have died and, yep. and sort of Hermione kind of like this is like great comedy challenging about yeah. like it's like, well, you you thought it that rabbit was gonna die? Is it old? No, it's young. Well so were you really worried about it? No. Yeah. Uh, and it wouldn't have died today. Yeah. Which is the day that she said it would have died ages ago and then you would have got the letter today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And even like there's some of the students really go for it. But I guess when I was reading it, I, I thought a lot about the, the the people who kind of do stuff around making predictions or whatever as a stage performance mm. in our own culture. And there's lots of that kind of drawing on clues from people. So stuff like she predicts that Neville's going to drop a cup. Well, Neville's breaking everything all the time. It's not... Settle down to mine. It's right? not... Like, it's yeah. so. Anyway, next one. <laughs> so, uh, unusual perceptual experiences, including bodily illusions. Mm-hmm. So, she has visions. She sees shapes in unclear stimuli, e.g. Mm-hmm. in tea leaves. Tea leaves. Yeah. When she makes predictions, she has a change in her voice and behaviour as well. Her bodily kind of... Things seem seem to shift. She has odd thinking and speech, so she does lots of fluctuations in volume and tone. She goes from you know whispering to gasping and screaming. There's lots of it doesn't fit with what's going on. Who, who was the actress who played her? Emma Thompson. Yeah, well, how she didn't get an Oscar for that? Oh, really. it was amazing. <laughs> um, she also uses vague terms yeah. as instructions to students, like she's trying to teach them how to you know read tea leaves and. The main instruction is broaden your minds. It's not a, it's, it's quite airy-fairy. 
Uh, there's also, sorry, I'm it's just clear. losing it's, it. It's clear. Come on. It's clear. Suspiciousness or paranoid ideation. So she fears being persecuted when Umbridge challenges her. It's probably warranted. Umbridge is really out to get her. But she also becomes suspicious and watchful of everybody when this occurs. So mm. she be, starts to become sort of dishevelled. She's monitoring what's she going de- on around the place. She definitely does start to de- decompensate. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, she has inappropriate or constricted affect. Mm-hmm. So she it fluctuates all over the place. It mm-hmm. seems quite inappropriate. For example, she looks at Harry and becomes tearful all the way through the third book. She screams in horror about different things that everybody else is kind of just looking confused about. Mm. But is that inappropriate affect? Like it's true to what's it's going on for her, for her, like her belief. I suppose it's not particularly contained. I guess it's not appropriate to that environment. Like yeah, as a teacher, yeah. crying every time you look at your student, even if you know that there's something bad's going to happen to them. It's not ideal. No, probably not. No. Uh, Behaviour or appearance, it's odd, eccentric yes. or peculiar. <laughs> Absolutely. I just wanted to read the first description <laughs> of her. Yep. Harry's immediate impression was of a large glittering insect. Professor Trelawney moved into the firelight and they saw that she was very thin. Her large glasses magnified her eyes to several times their natural size and she was draped in a gauzy spangled shawl. Innumerable chains and beads hung around her spindly neck and her arms and hands were encrusted with bangles and rings. <laughs> kind of, And she's often appearing out of the darkness whenever yeah. they arrive for one yeah. of their classes. Lacks close friends and confidants other than first-degree relatives. I'd kind of argue that Hogwarts is her home mm. and so the staff are family, not friends. Yep, yep. Um, and then the last one is excessive social anxiety that doesn't diminish with familiarity. She hides out in her tower. It's very rare that she comes down. Everyone's really shocked. She's sort of withdrawn and waits until people comes and then comes out when she's ready. Mm. This, is that anxiety or quirkiness? Who knows? I don't know. So I'd say that's unclear. But yeah. like seven of the nine. Seven of the nine. <laughs> that's pretty good. And the last thing to say about schizotypal is that Luna Lovegood fits some of the pattern that we see with totally. Trelawney. Yeah. But it's one of those things where, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, you can't diagnose it until 18. And, and, and you so, wouldn't want to because pers- want to. personality is forming. Like you exactly. have indexed a suspicion if you're yeah. working with them, but you wouldn't give them a, a, an official diagnosis. And I also wonder with Luna as well about how much it impacts her world, like whether actually the severity of it is less. Mm. And so it... So far, it doesn't seem to impact her relationships with other people or things like that or her oh, schooling. Oh, I think it like does. Like she's built friendships, just not a broader network. Yeah. No, she's like Hermi- she's Hermione too... calls a loony love good. Yeah. Yeah, she's up. bullied. And like, she's bullied and like her stuff is is around the place. Yeah. And she's kind of – but it's sort of interesting. She does form some stuff and I think yeah, by she the can end, do the close relationships. Yeah, and, it's and the broader of, ones. Yeah, and by, yeah, and by the end she's sort of been socialised a lot yeah. more. Like, and like if you're doing therapy with schizotypal PD, you're yeah. wanting to, to get them to socialise more yeah. and kind of – Make connections. Get, get them out of their sort of disordered perceptual mm. inner world and get them to sort of more interact with people on a, yeah. on a more functional way. So, yeah, I'd like to see her as an adult. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, whereas her father seems to be much more schizophrenic. Yeah. Sort of that kind of more disorder. All right. Beliefs that don't fit with the community. That's cluster A. Yep. All right. So, we've got, so it's now time for the quiz. All right. Quiz, <laughs> quiz section. We can do lovers in the air, names, or spells. What would you like to do? Mm, names. Okay. I might have picked the hardest one first. We'll see. All right. Name Harry, Hermione, and Ron's pets. 
Ah, Crookshanks, Scabbers and Hedwig. Okay. Name all the Weasleys. Okay. Uh, parents and kids? Yep. Yep. So there's Molly and Arthur and then there's Percy, Bill, Charlie, Ron, uh, Fred, George, yep. Ginny. Am I that, missing anyone? That's it. That's it. <laughs> what is the name of, of the Weasleys' owl? Oh, Errol. Oh, very good. <laughs> Do you know the name of Ron's owl? He gets it later after Scabbers. Oh, yeah, it's a ridiculous one. Uh, oh, I can't remember. I feel like it starts with P. Yeah, pig or pigwidgeon. Mm. Yeah. And actually, it's interesting. So that's what you just had was tip of the tongue phenomena, mm. right? So which is when you can't remember something. But, you, and but actually, you know it. But interestingly is that frequently with tip of the tongue phenomena, you can remember the first letter of what it is you're trying yeah. to remember. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting. <laughs> okay. Name all the defense against the dark arts teachers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Snape. Yep. Slughorn. Oh, no, he does potions. Scratch that. Okay. <laughs> uh, Lockhart. Yep. Lupin. Yep. Uh, Moody. It's not really him, but you know. Who, well, who is it? It's Crouch, Buddy Crouch Jr. Yep. Oh, first year Quirrell. Yep. Hang on, I need to go in order. <laughs> You've got the last two to go. I've got the last two to go. I can't remember who did it once Harry had... Left. Yeah, I can't remember that one. That's Amicus Caro. He's ah. so you never, you, all you ever really hear about him is he, he was getting the students to practice the Cruciatus Curse. Yeah, on, on the first years or something. And Snape's the one before that, isn't he? Briefly. Uh, no, there's there's a diff, there's a there's one in between. Yeah, there's a, the second last one. No, I can't remember. The it's second a one. she. Oh, it's not. No, it's not Umbridge. Umbridge. Yep. Oh, yeah, of course it is, Umbridge. Okay. Name the wizards who formed the four houses. Okay. So there is Rowena Ravenclaw. Yep. Godric Gryffindor. Yep. Salazar Slytherin. Yep. And Helga Hufflepuff. Yep. What are Dumbledore's middle names? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't remember. He's got like five, doesn't he? So it's Albus Percival <laughs> Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. Yep. Beautiful. Okay. What are the names of Harry's brooms? Ah, uh, he's got the fireball. Firebolt. Firebolt. Yep. Nimbus 2000. Yeah, Nimbus 2000. And then do you know what Malfoy's brooms are? He has Nimbus 2001. Yeah. And do you know that he he's mentioned in the book to have the Comet 260 before that. <laughs> um, okay. What is Tom Riddle's middle name? Marvelo. Okay. And what does it all spell out? I am Lord Voldemort. Okay, so I was doing some research. <laughs> yeah. And so they had to like play around with the middle name yeah. to make the anagram work. Yeah. Right? So in French, he is Tom Elvis Dussault, <laughs> which is the anagram for Je suis Voldemort. Oh, awesome. In German, he is Tom Volost Riddle, which is Ist Lord Voldemort. <laughs> Spanish is Tom Sorvolo Riddle. Which is Soy Lord Voldemort. <laughs> and Japanese, they couldn't do it. So it's just Tomaru Ridu. Ridu. My Japanese awesome. terrible. <laughs> so we're going to just take a quick break. Yep. And we're going to listen to a bit of Do the Hippogriff from Gold awesome. Fire. <laughs> Okay. 
So we're back and we're going to be doing cluster B, which is known as the bad cluster of personality disorders. So individuals in this cluster often appear dramatic, emotional or erratic. And the first one that we're going to talk about is antisocial personality disorder. It's a pattern of disregard for and violations of the rights of others. We discussed it uh, last year on the pod on this personality disorder that it often includes psychopaths or sociopaths mm-hmm. in, this, in this disorder. Listeners at home, you're probably going to get this one straight up, right? So candidates are Tom Riddle mm-hmm. or he who must be named. Come on, say it. Lord Voldemort. Thank you. Um, and, <laughs> and, and other candidates here are Dolores Umbridge and also Barty Crouch Jr. Mm. So I'm, I'm sure you could have a look at a lot of the Death Eaters, but those are the ones that are kind of named. I feel like those are the one. those two have a little more of the kind of sadistic edge to them. Yeah, definitely. So there's, there's some sort of enjoyment of other people's pain. Yeah, and we yeah, I yeah. have some notes on that. Yeah. So Voldemort, let's just go straight through. Like, it's pretty open and shut, right? So failure to conform to social norms with respect to lawful behaviours, as indicated by repeatedly performing acts that are grounds for arrest. So he uses the unforgivable curses, which give you a one-way ticket to Azkaban. Mm-hmm. So he uses Crucio and Harry Avada Kedavra mm-hmm. on many people, Harry's parents, a muggle caretaker, mm. all this kind of stuff. Deceitfulness is indicated by lying, so the use of aliases or conning... Others for personal profit or pleasure. I wasn't quite so sure about this one, but he does and in the Philosopher's Stone tell Harry, to, you know, give me this stone and then we can raise your parents from the dead. We'll work out a way. So I reckon also the way he is with Ginny mm-hmm. through the diary mm-hmm. in the second one, he uses the name, like he uses Tom Riddle, which she doesn't know is him. Yeah. He also kind of pressures her and lies to her about what she's doing and whatever. Yeah, totally cons her. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. yeah. Impulsivity or failure to plan ahead. Uh, which is common in antisocial PD, I don't think so. He, he has like considerable plans and schemes to come back to life. He just kind of is a bit hapless, like a Disney villain, but... Well, yeah, I was thinking about this one. Like he, he plans for his own behaviour and mm. what he needs those around him to do. He seems to have trouble planning what other people will do in response. Mm. So I don't know if that's part of the kind of like he doesn't understand other people or if he doesn't plan the full picture or what it is. Or he like believes he's got that narcissist thing of like, I'll be able to, I'll be able to battle it and fight. Yeah. And right. Like he consistently misses things that, like people's responses that involve things like connection and stuff like that that are unfamiliar to him. Yeah, but I don't think that But I don't know if that's not planning. I don't think it's, it's not empathy. I mean, he delays attacking Harry till the end of mm. fire. And it's quite, quite clear at the start of the book, we've got to delay until after the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's some stuff. Irritability and aggressiveness is indicated by repeated physical fights or assaults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's pretty annoyed at the Death Eaters when he comes back to life in the Goblet of Fire yep. for not finding him first. And like yep. he like attacks them and yep. it's like annoyed at Lucius. And he tortures people just. Yeah. Like he's quite, yeah. Reckless disregard for the safety of self or others. Mm-hmm. So he attacks without fear of himself or thinking about what's going to happen to other Death Eaters. Yeah. Right? A consistent irresponsibility is indicated <laughs> by repeated failure to sustain consistent work behavior or on a financial obligations he's never shown to have a job <laughs> right and i'm pretty sure no one is calling on voldemort to pay his gas bill right <laughs> it's, just, it's like probably not you know what we're just going to give that guy some it's no, he, he needs some space that's fine <laughs> that's yeah he's constantly squatting as well in various people's yeah, houses that's it. Like, no, which is like which is parasitic the ultimate life. it's a parasitic lifestyle which yeah. is known to be a symptom of psychopaths yeah right? exactly 
<laughs> lack That's of, a bad dude. <laughs> lack of remorse is indicated by being indifferent mm-hmm. or to or rationalised having hurt, mistreated or stolen from another. So, you know, no remorse for, for showing for killing or hurting others takes pleasure in it. Mm. Tom Riddle, there's this delight in the horror of that yeah. Ginny has that and the confusion that she has when she's made to like do things to kill roosters mm. and and do stuff use the blood to run the walls. Yeah. Back on that conning people stuff. Mm. Sort of a great sequence with Slughorn where mm. the young Tom Riddle is kind of getting information out of him. Yeah. You know, there's that flavour of mm. it, I think. So antisocial personality sort of is an interesting personality sort of in which that to to definitively meet the diagnosis, you meant to have evidence of a conduct disorder before the age of 15. Mm. So conduct disorder is like antisocial personality but, you know, in a, a child. Yeah. It's a repetitive and persistent pattern of behaviour in which the basic rights of others or major age-appropriate societal norms or rules are violated. Mm. So orphanage lady says there's incidents with other children, nasty things. Mm. And he says, I can make bad things happen to people who are mean to me. I can make them hurt. Mm. You know, so there's aggression to people. There's this deceitfulness and theft. Yeah. You know, you see he's stolen from others. Yeah. He also, you know, kills another kid's rabbit. Does he? Yeah, right. Yeah. And then the thing that, the thing that I was always curious about was that there, there's sort of an uncertainty about how he's harmed other children. He's sort of sneaky about it. Like there's mm. a, a line that I wrote down which was about two children and it says they were never quite right after and it's after they've gone into a cave. Yes. Yeah, so and it's the cave where he, cave where he hides yeah. one of the later horcruxes. Yeah. But you don't actually – part of the scariness of it with him is that you don't know what he's done. What he did. Yeah. You know he's done something that must be pretty bad to completely change two other children. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah he goes to the restricted section reads about horcruxes, which fits yep. with the same theme of violations of rules. And also the, the Riddle family is killed in suspicious circumstances that sound like magic. Yeah. They do an autopsy and there's nothing wrong with yeah. them. Yeah. The other childhood thing is the McDonald triad. Okay, what's, what's that? So it's... That's nuggets, burger, nug- fries. That we yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, a theory related to sort of predicting later antisocial behaviour in yeah. adulthood. And it's one of those ones that there's been lots of sort of debate about whether it's accurate or not, but it often comes up and it's quite a popular theory, I think. But there's a triad of things that children display that mm-hmm. are shown as that seem to be risks risk factors they might be risk factors individually or the theory says altogether but so that's bedwetting which we don't know about from him we've got no I'm not reports him, to go right. on no <laughs> we're, we're, we're the, but the other in, two in the registrar <laughs> yeah but the other two he's definitely got harm to animals yep and fire setting which he's does shown he, does he yeah there's some descriptions of him setting setting fire and enjoying fire Hmm. as a child and for for that one it's kind of for anyone who's going oh god i set a fire as a as a child i'm going to turn into Voldemort. yeah it's about age appropriateness so yeah. everybody explores fire a little bit it's if it goes past i think it's age 10 that then you've got to have some some worries i'm just you're thinking you're calculating some, your own <laughs> i think there's some camps that i went on yeah <laughs> yeah but really it it is reflective of a pretty dysfunctional home environment or trauma or something going on there that means they can't cope. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, look, I would suggest that he is more of a psychopath or a sociopath. So maybe you could argue that he's a sociopath because of being a function of his environment of being in an orphanage, mm-hmm. kind of like survival kind of stuff. Where so psychopath is sort of more, more thought to be in an age drive where sociopath means that people are sort of drawn to this sort of antisocial type cluster of behaviours mm. because the environment that you're in. Psychopaths, you know, they have this inner detachment with they are able to d- destroy life. They often cloak themselves in the trappings of normality. They're pathological liars. They flourish behind this this idea of this mask of sanity, which was mm-hmm. like the name of a famous book by Cleckley, unable to understand the emotional dimension of language, you know, and so yeah. that's kind of a subtle theme that comes up, you know, where like Harry's like, oh, you know, you, you don't have connection, you're mm. not loved, yeah. you know, and kind of like Voldemort sort of is shown to be baffled by that. Mm. Sort of that he thinks it's ridiculous. That, so that's, that's what's yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. He says, oh, you know, Harry Potter, you're a fool. Mm. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. He's impervious to shame, which mm-hmm. is definitely Voldemort. Early behaviour problems, criminal past, parasitic yeah. lifestyle. He takes Lucius's wand. Mm. Um, lack of empathy, manipulative, narcissistic. So, I mean, so just to kind of get at that a little bit more, mm. I'd say the Death Eaters are probably antisocial. Yeah. Like you see those, the snatchers. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Voldemort's like psych- psychopath. Yeah, he yeah. feels like both. Yeah. To me, because he's got the behavioral elements. But yeah, you're right. There's that kind of cognitive bit that isn't really described in the criteria for ASPD. Yeah. And then also, like, uh, you know, I think what what's interesting about the diagnosing people, and people would be, you know, potentially sensing, oh, you know, the DSM's crap and all this mm. kind of stuff. You know, it's not crap, but it's got certainly got shortfall. Mm. You could fill several podcasts on that. Yeah. But one of them is that it. You can categorize someone's behavior, but it doesn't really explain it, mm. right? And you so don't like, know why he's. Yeah, like that. I mean, I, and I would say, you know, Voldemort seems to clearly have death anxiety. Yeah, right. Weak people die. As a young age, he's trying to prevent death. Yeah, it's never explained in the in from what I've seen. Maybe no. I mean, we you know for this pod, but he mocks people who die. Like yeah. it's yeah. Yeah, and he kind of like for me for this pod, we've just looked at the books and the movies, mm. right? And so, but. You know, he he wants to control death. He revels in controlling life and death, which is a very sort of teenage mm. kind of thing. We be, as teenagers we become fascinated with like shoot 'em up games. Yeah, you know, there's this kind of idea about controlling things. Mm. He's sort of attachment. He wants everyone to be isolated. Hasn't found anyone. Harry has. Mm. You sort of think maybe he's disorganized attachment, moving towards someone but hurting them mm. at the same time. Yeah, yeah, because like he he seeks out people to harm them, even people who try to act as parent figures like Dumbledore. Yeah. It's not... I mean, I have tossed up about his attachment style a fair bit and think that it kind of... It has an avoidant flavour where he kind of thinks of himself as, you know, he doesn't need other people. He pulls away when he's separated from people rather than trying to seek them out. He's kind of avoiding those relationships. But then there is that aspect of like, you know, come here so I can hurt you Mm. that goes with disorganisation. Yeah. Like, I, like, what's interesting is he gets people to follow him. Mm. He's kind of, like, lonely, but kind of gets people to follow him. He's kind of like his cult leader, gets adoration, but he doesn't really seem to in, seek it out. No. In, like, a narcissistic kind of way. No. Like, not like Gilderoy Lockhart. And it doesn't seem to meet the need for him. Like, it's, you know, he's just, he's, if he's the most, he's just wanting power. Mm. But then, like, if he's the most powerful wizard in the world, why does he need Death Eaters? Like, I don't get it. So, yeah. he doesn't treat him well, doesn't boast their ego. He's punitive towards them. You know, so it's like I think it fits with that disorganised kind of thing. But also with that need for power over everything else. 
else. Yeah. So like if you've got no if you've got no followers, then you've got no power. Like yeah. Is the kind of the thing. Yeah. So that that's Voldemort. The other two we won't spend a lot of time on Dolores Umbridge. Like I would say she's ASPD, but I'd say she's like high suspicion yeah. for being a psychopath. She's controlled in appearance, controlling with school rooms, masochistic tendencies. You know, she inflicts pain on others and enjoys it. You know, that whole I must not tell lies sequence mm. and that kind of stuff. This is like pleasure domination yeah. kind of component. Lack of remorse and guilt. She uses the Veritas Serum potion yeah. to find out where Dumbledore's army is. She, you see her abusing her power in the Deathly Hallows, accusing a witch of not being a witch. Mm. You know, like she's muggle-born or something. Yeah. And then Barty Crouch disguises himself as Mad-Eye. Yeah. So, so he gets sent to Azkaban for using the Crucio curse on Neville Longbottom's Yeah, parents, torturing them. Right? And then when we're watching Goblet of Fire, I suddenly this realisation, so... He <laughs> so you think it's Mad Eye Moody? Mad Eye Moody goes, "Oh Neville, can you think of a, a big giveable curse?" He goes, "Oh the Crucio curse." And then <clears throat> Mad Eye starts torturing using the Crucio curse in front of Neville on this spider. Yeah. But actually, it's Barty Crouch yeah. doing that, and Barty Crouch had done it to Neville's parents. Yeah. And he's watching it with enjoyment. Like it's like sick. That was like on like level. I've, I'd watched that multiple times and yeah. never got that. And you'd sick. never gone, "Oh my god." <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so that's. And social personality. Yeah. Life. Done. All right. Are we ready for Borderline? Okay. Yeah. So for Borderline, it's described as a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image and affects, as well as marked impulsivity. So for this one, I have been arguing for some time that it's Bellatrix Lestrange. Yeah. Have, you, have I managed to convince you? I, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. So. You're not sure. So borderline personality, like a lot of people have heard about this disorder, mm. it's best, I think, captured by the phrase, I hate you, don't leave me. Yeah. So yeah, it's is, got this real push-pull kind of tension to it. There's, it's erratic, it's volatile. There's a lot of emotions. People with borderline personality can have a lot, a lot like yeah. a lot of difficulty, like managing interpersonal relationships and can often, unfortunately, be self-harm or suicidal mm. and stuff like that. It's like it can be... When they're sort of severe, it can be a very disabling condition. Yeah, so exactly. So for this one, there are nine different criteria, and yep. I don't think she meets them all. Yep. Uh, but I think she meets enough. You need to, you need to, to have five. Remember. You need five. Yep. So the first one is frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment, and I wondered about this one in terms of Voldemort. So. There's sort of a, a connection with her and Voldemort that isn't there so much with the others. There's a lot of her trying to please him. There's a lot of her mm. continuing to follow him even when she's been punished. So most of the others go back to their life when they think he's dead. But she's one of the few ones who continues to idolise him mm. when she's, you know, in Azkaban and things like that. There's this kind of pull. She's ready to go again. Yeah. And she's ready to prove to him that he shouldn't abandon her. He shouldn't leave her. Yeah. She's there. And she's he's trying to impress him. I, I, you know, I'll do it, yeah. my lord. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Then there's also a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterised by alternating between extremes of idealisation and devaluation. Which is the I hate you, don't leave me yeah. kind of component. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like you do see that with Voldemort, that kind of like she's idealising him but... There's also a cynicism about him at different points. There's kind of like a watchfulness you of him. I do. I think there's also that kind of cowering versus trying to fawn over him and things like that. And I mm. wonder what that comes from, like how she actually perceives him 
over time. Okay. I think in general what she does is not so much that the relationships within themselves alternate between the two, mm. but that she has black and white relationships. Everyone's either amazing or awful. Yeah. Everyone she needs to wipe them off the planet or really sort of suck into it. The only time that you see, I guess, a little bit more of a steady relationship is with Narcissa, her sister, mm. really, where you kind of see her trying to help her in some way. It's still got an odd flavour to it, but it's it doesn't have as much tension as yeah. the other ones. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say from what I can remember, like I don't think you see her flip between idolisation, devaluation, between one person. Mm. But I think your point about some people are all good, some people are all bad. Yeah, there's no nuance there. Yeah. There's no kind of tolerance of people yeah, because not like, being... Because in, in your life you will have people who you like, people yeah. who you don't like, but also people who kind of like, mm, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like it's and like, probably the only one that she flips with might be Snape maybe, but that's sort of part of the alliance to Voldemort, so perhaps it doesn't count. Yeah, to know. Yeah. Um, identity disturbance, so markedly and persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. I do – the thing that I wonder about – and this one I've gone backwards and forwards on for Bellatrix. Mm. But I wonder if she has a sense of self other than a follower of Voldemort. Like whether her defining thing is that she's his. Mm. Whether there's any sense of self outside of that. I reckon there probably is. Do you reckon there is? Yeah. Like I'm not sure that we see it. I I think you get hints of it. Like she's in the man, like in the manner running the place by yeah. herself. Like I mean, there's a purpose to it, but mm. um, I was trying to think of something that she did that wasn't for him. Like even with Narcissus, it's for so, so him. She like blacks out Sirius Black's name. The, yeah. In the, the the room with all the names on the on yeah the thing. Like and that doesn't seem to be. Related to him. No, related to him. Yeah. So, I don't know. Mm, don't so, know. I'm not sure that – I, I would say I'm not sure that you could make the case for that one. For that one. For that criteria. Yeah. Right? I think the next one is pretty clear, impulsivity. Yep. In at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging. So, in the muggle world, it tends to be things like spending too much money, having unprotected te- sex, using drugs, that sort of thing. Mm. I feel like for her it's that she does a fair bit of like – unnecessary property damage and wild kind of stuff in in the books. Like everyone will be leaving and she'll stick behind to blow up a window or something. There's kind of like a, this isn't enough. Or just happens to kill Sirius Black. Exactly. Like I'm just going to, I'm just going to have fun with this. I'm just going to, away I go. She's definitely got that impulse. This seems like a good idea. She also really wants to kill Harry and things like that as well. Like she listens to Voldemort, but it's often that she's sort of pushing the edges all the time. She like just throws the knife. Yeah. As it disappearing and like Dobby gets it. Right? Yeah. Like, it's, like it's, she's, it's, yeah. yeah. I don't think that we see any recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures no, or threats or any self-mutilating behavior. She definitely has the affective instability. So she's reactive in her mood. She can be sort of all over the place. She can become angry really quickly. Mm. Sort of, she can go from really calm to just all of a sudden exploding. Yeah, Yeah. there's no gradual increase with her. Uh, We don't know about her chronic feelings of emptiness. (laughs) We don't know if she's got them going on. She was in Azkaban. She was in Azkaban. And and I wonder, was she like that before Azkaban? 
or not. Like yeah. given that Azkaban involves essentially sucking your soul out. Mm. If you so weren't like, sort so of borderline oh, oh, before. Oh, 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 oh. So does that mean that it's not actually borderline personality, it's personality changed to a general medical condition? Ah, possibly. <laughs> 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 yeah, that could be it. Yep. Yeah. Anyone I mean, it's tricky. Ex- anyone who's an expert on BPT, add us at Tushan's yeah. pride, please. <laughs> She definitely has the next one, inappropriate intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. Mm. As we've talked about with the affective instability, it's kind of just that lashing out all of a sudden intense anger, quite happily killing people or blowing stuff up. It's not, there's not just a little bit of annoyance. Yeah. She's furious and it also includes things like recurrent physical fights and things like that. And she's often trying to stir stuff up. Mm. Like there's kind of that... That vibe of how can I make this situation a little more exciting, a little more volatile. And she's a very sexualized character, like in the way that she, when you see her get excited, Mm. this weird, almost sexual intensity to kind of, you know, they're doing the binding with Snape. Or there's and that was the thing I was trying or, to, or like, or like the power thing with Malfoy and the the was it with the cupboard or whatever. Yeah, they kind of go backwards and forwards. I also feel like there's something in, and I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was about that she's the only female Death Eater. Oh, nice, nice. Isn't she's it? not a Death Eater, isn't she? No, she's married to one, um, but she's not. Yeah. And so, what it like? Why does Voldemort keep her around? But then also, how does that play into her pathology? Is is that related to it or not? Like, has she actually been able to sustain a relationship for a long period of time yeah. with Voldemort? Yeah. Or is that part of the whole push-pull dynamic where he pushes her away and is abusive towards her and then she pulls him in? Or yeah. Like, what's happening there? Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of feel like she meets... Enough. So, 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 she so meets, which ones did you say? So she meets unstable, intense interpersonal um, relationships. Yeah. She meets impulsivity. Yeah. Affective instability. Yeah. Inappropriate anger. Yeah. And then I have queries about whether she meets... Oh, and frantic efforts to avoid abandonment. So that's five. Yeah. 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 I, I think you can make an argument for it. Yeah, I yeah. think so. And I think some of it, the ones that are missing, is more about her internal state. So if we could actually sit down and have a chat to her. Yeah. Maybe we could find I mean, out a little more. The, the other the other kind of thought is like you'd be curious to know what she was like before she went into Azkaban. I don't actually know what she was put in for. Well, for the Death Eater stuff. Yeah, but like like what what did yeah. she do? Like, no, there is some – it does say. Because I, I, I would wonder whether, you know, whether you would say, well, you know – Has the incarceration he, made you know, her? What, what, like how did the incarceration impact on her? Because if you're looking at a personality sort of, you want to have a look at it from like early mm. adulthood. Yeah. Did this come from early? adulthood mm. or, or is this sort of you know markedly exacerbated stuff like, i mean you could argue that being they, a death eater and systematically harming people would be an indicator yeah. that she was like that beforehand but i don't know maybe yeah. she was the coffee girl i don't know <laughs> the um no she definitely killed someone i just can't remember who yeah right probably something important uh, yeah, probably. Please, 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 <laughs> please add us. Uh, is it anyone else? I mean, I certainly. I think that's pretty much it for borderline. You know, okay. there's not there's I, not that fluctuating. I do, I do like, I do like the if she's borderline. I do like the fact that Narcissa mm. is her sister. Yeah, because um, same cluster. So statistically, all of the personality disorders cluster together, mm. right? They sort of share features. All the people in one cluster will frequently have components 
of other personality disorders in that cluster. Yeah. So narcissist can often have sort of antisocial traits or borderline can have mm. narcissistic traits, so on and yeah. so forth. So I like, I like that potential little in-joke there. Mm, yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Okay, histrionic personality disorder. If you listened back to the histrionic pod, I loved talking about the histrionic <laughs> pod. <laughs> you really did. You was, got so into it. <laughs> it was so good. Okay, so histrionic personality disorder is a pervasive pattern of... I, l- I do love the double P, the pervasive pattern. Yeah, you know. pervasive pattern <laughs> of <laughs> perfectionistic <laughs> puppets. So histrionic personality disorder is a pervasive pattern of excessive emotionality and attention seeking. So Rita Skeeter. Absolutely. So Rita Skeeter is the first met in Goblet of Fire. She She's an author and journalist for The Daily Prophet. So she also writes books mm. later on. So to meet criteria, she needs to have five. So number one, she's uncomfortable in situations where... He or she is not the centre of attention. Mm-hmm. We don't really see her in these situations, but we do see her grabbing attention. So she focuses on events or people to draw attention to herself. Mm. So after Dumbledore's death, soon after she writes a tell-all biography about him, yep. a sensational interview in The Daily Prophet about it, about what she discovered, mm. and the wildly inaccurate and dramatic interview with Harry that's across <laughs> several pages in The Goblet of Fire. Is eyes glistening with the... <laughs> Tears of his. I, I, I think, uh, <laughs> best bit of the whole whole series. Um, so the you know this interaction with others is often characterised by inappropriately sexually seductive or provocative behaviour. Mm. This is alluded to, right? So she's flirty towards Hagrid in the book. Yeah, I would say she's flirty to Harry. Like, yeah. you know, takes him to this like this teenage boy into this like broom closet. It's like really close. So it's quite it's yeah. odd. Yeah, like it. You you feel. The discomfort of it, it's yeah. Just yeah. even talking about it, I'm just like, oh, really? Just yeah, bit, I don't think I have that a, as much of a reaction. Like, yeah. I, like it looked to me like it's a bit more power, but you know. And I wondered whether the focus on Harry in the newspaper reports is like a sexualized yeah. relationship, this fetish fetishization yeah. of him. And she's also really preoccupied with any romantic element of mm. Harry's life. Is she jealous of the attention that Hermione gives him, and that's why she concocts a relationship yeah. between him and the newspaper? Like, yeah. like is that what it's about? She consistently uses her physical appearance to draw attention to herself, right? So the first time we meet her, okay, description is magenta robes, hair set in elaborate, curiously rigid curls that contrasted oddly with her heavily jawed face. She wore jeweled spectacles. The fingers clutching her crocodile skin handbag ended in two-inch nails, painted crimson. <laughs> Later when she's talking to Hagrid, she's described as wearing a thick magenta cloak with a fairy purple coat, crocodile skin handbag over her arm. So, you know, that's a no-brainer. Has a style of speech that's excessively impressionistic and lacking detail. So yeah. a lot of what she talks about seems to be driven by her own impressions and impervious mm. to facts. So, uh, like, I was a bit wary about this, but I think you could probably argue that that's true. Like, I'm not sure if it's lacking in detail, but it's certainly... Well, I think it is in that... Like in it's, accuracy. It's in, yeah, but you also often don't get a sense of what it is that she's asking or what it is where the direction that she's going like Harry's often confused about what she's talking about like there's this kind of you can't it's not a concrete thing that he can complain about it's kind of like but that that's not the way that it was yeah it's yeah there's a vagueness there See, was I, it's not I, helped I, by the quill yeah <laughs> well yeah so <laughs> so yeah I mean so I'm not sure that like incessantly with impressionistic like in detail like to my clinical mind is probably a bit Different, not that mm. I can explain it to you somewhat ironically. Anyway, but okay. Number six shows self dramatization, theatricality, and exaggerated expression of emotion. So, this is 
clearly true in her dramatic and exaggerated presence, but particularly if you consider the quick quills quote as an extension of her personality, right? So if you take into and take into account her writing style. So it writes when he's being questioned about entering the competition when Harry's, and in Harry's calm, tears fill those startling green eyes as our conversation turns to the parents he can barely remember. <laughs> and then he points out he's not crying. Yeah. I think in the movie they actually do it a bit better. <laughs> they do. They continue with it multiple times <laughs> and he keeps on going, like, <laughs> like I'm my, not, <laughs> I wasn't my, crying. My eyes aren't glittering with the ghosts of my dead parents. Yeah. <laughs> You know, later later on he talks about her reporting things he hadn't said or exaggerating a statement. So mm. there's this kind of I think if you take into account her writing, mm. then it's definitely the case. So she so that's five criteria. Yeah. The sort of rapidly shifting shallow expression of emotions, being suggestible and easily influenced by others or circumstances and considering relationships to be more intimate than they actually are. I I don't think it's probably not enough evidence, but I do wonder about the first one, about the shallow expression of emotions. Yeah, so... There's sort of a, a feeling there that it's not genuine what she's expressing. It's definitely not genuine. Yeah. yeah. So I think you'd have a good case for her being histrionic PD. Yeah. All right, narcissism. All right. So this one is... I reckon this one's probably one of the more well-known personality disorders. Yeah. Uh, so it's a pervasive pattern of grandiosity in fantasy or behavior, a need for admiration and a lack of empathy. <laughs> so this one, we came up with a couple of people who kind of meet criteria. The most, I guess, striking and obvious one is the one that I'm going to go through in detail and that's Gilderoy Lockhart. Actually, you've got to say that. Gilderoy Lockhart. <laughs> Beautiful. Presenting <laughs> 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 me. <laughs> I'm quite amazed that you were able to do the eyebrows there. (laughs) (laughs) We may need a photo for the Twitter. Let's not do that. (laughs) So uh, Lockhart is, of course, the professor that's brought in in the second book Mm -hmm. to teach Defence Against the Dark Arts. And I think anyone who has had any contact with the Harry Potter series would pick him as the as the narcissist. Everything's yeah. about his appearance right, and about let, his let's, let's sense of self. Argument. But let's go through it. So the first criteria is a grandiose sense of self-importance. So they exaggerate their achievements and talents, expect to be recognised as superior without commensurate achievements. So he consistently exaggerates his battles with magical creatures, becomes apparent that he actually hasn't been on many of the adventures that he says he has or that other people actually fix things Mm. sort of dumb luck rather than anything else but he speaks about himself as this sort of fantastic wizard who's been able to conquer things that no one can in like attempts to fix harry's arm and like takes the bones out exactly yeah Uh, the second criteria is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success power brilliance beauty or ideal love And I feel like he seems to be preoccupied with his own lies and fantasies about his brilliance and speaks confidently about what's going to happen in the future. So, Mm -hmm. he, you know, he speaks about how he's going to fix the issue with the Chamber of Secrets and Mm. that, of course, he knows what the issue is. Mm -hmm. Believes he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other Mm. special or high-status people. So, you know, he believes he has a special connection with people like Harry. He speaks about his close relationship with the Minister for Magic there's this kind of trying to elevate himself mm-hmm. uh, requires excessive admiration I wondered if the fact that he surrounds himself by self-portraits and consistently kind of dresses to play up his features brings up his achievements oh, and his good. appearance <laughs> like well. even that he reads and responds to fan mail is kind of playing into that 
requiring the admiration. Like mm. he's he's making the effort to read it and to kind of feed into it. Yeah, like which which if you contrast with Voldemort, he wants fear nor other than admiration. Yeah, that's it. Like, yeah, you know, he kind of gets there's a different acceptance of it. Yeah, like even if it's like sort of the same kind of like oh the Dark Lord, amazing, mm. blah, blah, blah. but like Voldemort's like yeah whatever. Yeah, he, he he's means wanting, to an end. He he's wanting to control. Yeah, whereas Lockhart th- wants he, the... like he's feeding on it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's never enough. No. The next one I wasn't sure about, which is a sense of entitlement. And I feel like there's an element there, but that we don't see it in a sort of explicit way, I guess. Mm. Do you have any examples of that one or did that not? I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting to kind of think about. Like I was going to say, oh, yeah, no, definitely. But it's like, well, what's he entitled about? Yeah, like... what treatment does he expect that isn't just admiration? Yeah. Yeah. I think, he, I think he does expect to be viewed as successful. Yeah. But. But it's not. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Interpersonally exploitative. So takes advantage of others to achieve his, his or her own ends. I feel like that he kind of uses some of those relationships with more powerful people to boost himself. Yeah. But also like he uses so like memory charms. So But also uses memory charms on people. And exactly. And takes advantages of their memories. To, yeah. To, to, to keep on. Yeah. Yeah. Boosting himself up, lacking empathy, unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. So he, he pretty much ignores the needs and perspectives of everyone around him. He assumes that everyone feels the way he does. Mm. So he assumes Harry likes attention. He assumes that, yeah. Ev- everyone's terrified that there's like a monster running around. It's like, oh no, we've caught it. Don't yeah. need to worry. Blah, exactly. blah, blah. You know. Yeah. Often envious of others or believes that others are envious of him or her. I queried whether he was envious of Harry and whether that's, oh, that's why he, he tries he's, to associate he's, he's with him. He's certainly challenged by Harry. Yeah. Because Harry's more famous. More, more famous. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last one is shows arrogant, haughty behaviours or attitudes, which I think just comes through in his general <laughs> behaviour. He's dismissive of others' abilities. He speaks patronisingly to people yeah. about the reaches of his success. No one could possibly understand how brilliant he is. Yeah. That sort of thing. Um, we had a couple of others as well. Did you want to talk about Dumbledore? Yeah, so Dumbledore is an interesting case. Like, so I don't think he's got narcissistic PD. Does he have inflated self-importance? He, he's not grandiose. Mm. He is good at what he does, mm. right? He believes he's special, but he is yeah. really, essentially. And everybody does. Yeah, and he doesn't really, he doesn't seem to require excessive admiration. Mm. I would suggest he requires sort of an appropriate level of admiration, mm-hmm. an appropriate level of... Respect. S- ...of status and respect. Maybe a fraction more, but, you know, nothing nothing too excessive. He does, you know, dress in an unusual mm. kind of eccentric kind of way. There's an ex- he has a presence. There's an eccentricity about him. Mm. Maybe you could argue he's entitled to automatic compliance with his or her own ex- expectations. You know, he asks, again... Harry, I asked too much of you, mm. this kind of stuff. But also, you know, he's a, he's a headmaster. Like, you yeah. kind of want people to do what you ask them to do. Like, yeah. So. But perhaps trying to defeat the most powerful wizard yep. in history is a little much for an 11-year-old. Yeah. Well, he's a bit older than that, <laughs> but it would be later on. I mean, it starts there. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> but empathy is interesting. I think you could definitely argue at times he comes across as lacking empathy. Hmm. You know, you know, one of the books he has like almost no contact with Harry. Like yeah. he's very deliberate, and yeah. he know, and like he clearly knows that this is impacting on him. Hmm. So, and it's revealed later on that he's letting Harry confront Voldemort. Yeah, you know, and Snape of all people is upset about it. Yeah, 
right? Yeah, exactly. Whereas, whereas Dumbledore's not. But yeah, they're sort of a people as a means to an end. Yeah. So, I mean, like I would say that he'd be very high in Machiavellianism, yeah. right? So we talked about that on pod five, the dark triad. Mm. So that that's this kind of you use people to manipulate people to get what you want yeah. in a kind of way. But, you know, look, he does have empathy. Like it's quite clear that he gets in touch with that empathy. It's is there. So, mm. you know, he's caring towards students and, you know, he protects misfits, right, who've otherwise been rejected. So Harry, mm. Hagrid, who was expelled, yep. Tom Riddle, who yep. was the odd one, yep. Professor Trelawney, yep. and even Scamander, mm. new Sc- Scamander. So, like, I mean, going a step further, right, I would say that Dumbledore has this sort of, like, rescuing component to him. I think that that's suggestive of him attempting to heal a level of his own hurt. Mm. So, and I think that that hurt is from rejection he probably experienced as a young same-sex attractive wizard. <laughs> But, yeah, so, I mean, I don't think... (laughs) I need a minute. (laughs) Amy's lost it. So, I mean, he's probably a bit narcissistic, but I think it's probably justified. It's like it's not pathological. Mm. Uh, It's not disordered. And it's probably also trying to cope with an impossible situation. Trying to find a way through. It's just that sometimes he... His methods don't really allow for the needs of other people. No. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. And the, the very last one that we had on the list was... Lucius Malfoy. Yeah. yeah. Draco's dad. Draco's dad, married to Narcissa yeah. Malfoy, which yeah. is like it's a bit of a nod. Yeah. So, you know, grandiose, best visiting family, wealthy, yeah. very haughty behaviours. Mm. Like if you want to look at textbook haughty, like that's yeah. it. Special and unique, only understood by people high status. You know, we're in the minister's box at the Quidditch World yeah. Cup. Dismissive of the Weasleys and those who are not wealthy or pure blood. Requires admiration. And he crumbles without status. Yeah. You know, when Voldemort derides him. Mm. This entitlement rocking up to Hogwarts to demand Hagrid to be sent away to Azkaban. Interpersonally exploitative, like with Fudge, likes empathy. I'd say, like, it's limited empathy. He's got empathy towards his son, Mm. but... And within a narrow range of emotion and experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, is that cluster B? uh, Yeah, that's cluster B. So, okay, quiz? Quiz time? Yep. (laughs) <laughs> so you can do love is in the air or spells? Love is in the air. Okay. This is the hard one. <laughs> is it? <laughs> oh, dear. What have I done? Okay. No. I've danced with them all anyway, don't I? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So in the Goblet of Fire, who are the four dates of the Triwizard Champions? Okay. So Hermione goes with Crumb. Yep. Harry goes with... Oh, now which Patel sister does he go with? Patel sister. He goes with... Pavati. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fleur goes with. I had, to, oh. I had to look this one up. Yeah. She goes on the Hogwarts boys, right? Yeah, it's Roger Davies. I think mm. he might be Slytherin, but I'm not sure. And then Cedric goes with Cho. Yeah. Who's Harry's first kiss? Cho. Where do they kiss? In the Room of Requirement. Who's Hagrid's love interest in the Goblet of Fire? Olympia. <laughs> <laughs> Madame Olympia Maximum. Yep. Who's Ron's first girlfriend? Uh, Lavender. Yep, Lavender Brown. Snape's unrequited love? Lily. Who does Neville fall in love with? Oh, I can see her. <laughs> Blonde? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not Luna. It's Luna. It's Luna, yeah. yeah. Who does Fleur Delacour marry? Uh, she marries a Weasley. She marries Bill. Yep. Okay. 
These are book questions. These are hard. Which wizard is it thought that Dumbledore has affections for? It's sort of alluded to. Oh. <laughs> this is torture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't remember their okay, name. Okay, Grindelwald? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay, in the book, after taking Polyjuice Potion, Hermione mm. receives a get well card when she's in the hospital wing. Later on, she sends a valentine to the same person. Who is it? I don't know. Gilderoy. Is it? Lockhart, yeah. In the book, which Weasley boy does Ginny catch kissing someone? Uh, hmm. oh, I've stumped you. You have stumped me. Percy? And who is he kissing? Oh, see, I, I view Percy as entirely sort of, you know, asexual. So <laughs> it's Penelope Clearwater. Oh, yeah. And, she, and she's a prefect from which house? You should totally get this Ra- house. Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. It's not Slytherin. I knew no, that. it's Ravenclaw. And final question, is Ginny worthy of Harry? <laughs> this is the leading question. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's a yes or no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and with that, we're going to take a break. So thank you for listening to Cluster B. And we are going to listen to a bit of Lily's theme. Nice. So uh, we're just we've retired to Hogsmeade and we're having a gin and tonic. <laughs> yeah, it's not a butter beer. Have you ever tried making it? What's that? Butter beer. No, you can make it. Mm. The recipe looks foul. Oh god, there's actually a description when they're in Azkaban, prison of Azkaban, and Harry's hiding under a table or something, mm. and like you hear the teachers order their drinks. Yeah, and like it's it's hilarious. Hagrid's like four mugs of mead, four <laughs> pints of mead, and like Flitwick gets this cherry drink with an umbrella. <laughs> That's gorgeous. Yeah, it's kind of cute. Yeah. If you're not listening to this pod before, this is the part where we just like to say thank you for yep. listening. And we hope you're enjoying this episode or and have enjoyed other episodes mm-hmm. and checked them We out. are. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> We're wearing Harry Potter scarves and everything. There's a, there's a full it. thing. I banned Amy from wearing her full robe set, so but it's fine. Rude. I also left my wand in the car. <laughs> That's it. So uh, you can check us out online, twoshrinkspod.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Please uh, give us some feedback about this show, either via Twitter or rate and review the show. So you can contact us on all that kind of stuff. And we do love hearing from you and that kind of stuff. For the Compliments most part. And complaints. Uh, well, I have a be. complaint. What? You got a complaint. <laughs> Tell me. For the, rate, for the readers, for the listeners. <laughs> I requested several months ago and on the last podcast that people send me cat pictures to our email and not a one cat picture has appeared. <laughs> I, I know that I've got a whole internet to choose from, but I think that it would annoy Hunter so much that it would be really worth it. We will, we will, uh, if you send us a photo of your cat, we will tweet them out. Yeah. If you want. We will make your cat famous. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing can stop it. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, uh, I think that's the break. Is it? Yeah. It's we, so final. We, we started off professional and then ended where we normally do. We are, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go out with a bit of Hogwarts March from Goblet of Fire. Nice. Thank you.
And we're back with Cluster C. So in, uh, Cluster C, this is the sad personalities group. Uh, mm. The individuals in this cluster of PDs often appear anxious and or fearful. So avoidant personality disorder is the first one up. It's a pervasive pattern of social inhibition, feelings of inadequacy and hypersensitivity to negative evaluation. So the way to think about this is extreme social anxiety. Mm. It's probably the heuristic or the shortcut you want to think about. So four or more of the following. Avoids occupational activities involve significant interpersonal contact Mm -hmm. because of fears of criticism, disapproval, rejection. Unwilling to get involved with people unless it's certainly being liked. Shows restraint within intimate relationships because of the fear of being shamed or ridiculed. Is preoccupied with being criticised or rejected in social situations. Is inhibited in new interpersonal situations because of feelings of inadequacy. Views self as socially inept, personally unappealing or inferior. Unusually reluctant to take personal risks or engage in new activities because they may prove embarrassing. Mm -hmm. So the person that I thought was potential was Professor Quirrell. I wondered whether his presentation was consistent with it because he's given his obvious nervousness mm. and how it's impacting on his teaching career because the students remark he's no good. But yeah. being a teacher would be incompatible with avoiding occupations that involve significant interpersonal contact. A teacher wouldn't, like avoiding mm. personality, wouldn't choose that career yeah. or even get the job. And, like, and you know, I guess you could argue unwilling to get involved with people unless certain of being liked. A lot of teachers have to just deal with the fact they're not going to be liked. Mm. By everybody. I suppose it's a question of how involved he is with people. Yeah. Like when you're teaching, you can be distant. Yeah. Like the good ones often aren't and Mm. actually have conversations and things, but it's possible to be someone who just conveys information. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's unclear from his history whether he shows restraint in intimate relationships, Mm -hmm. whether he worries about rejection in social situations, whether he has feelings of inadequacy leading to social inhibition or that he views himself as unappealing or inferior. He definitely does take risks and engages in new activities, like attempting to find the Philosopher's Stone. Or I, I do have a question. Yeah, which is the opposite of what APD does. So, you know, what's your question? My question is, how could he possibly find himself appealing when he's got someone else's head attached mm. to the back of mm-hmm. his head? Mm-hmm. So yeah, is he like, definitely view himself as unappealing. Yeah, it's not yep. it's not a conventional way of luring people. Nope. 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 So I mean look, I would say his history is more suggestive of personality change following a trauma. Mm-hmm. So he's reputedly brilliant, brilliant scholar whose nerves been shattered after an encounter with vampires. Mm-hmm. His classroom smells of garlic. Yeah. But then also I think a differential could be schizophrenia. So like hears voices, command hallucinations, mm. nervousness and awkwardness in social situations. And like he talks about, I'm never alone. Yeah. You know, this kind of thing. So But also in terms of the the trauma side of things. Yeah. Does he also have a head injury? Okay, talk to me. Well, I don't know what was involved in fusing Voldemort to the back of his head, but was there any impact on his underlying tissue? Uh, I don't know. But he just kind of like at the end, Voldemort just becomes like a, like the steam off a cup of tea. Like yeah. Just like just blows, <laughs> through, blows through Harry and then up the hall. And, and then it's just the, fine. Out into the night. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I, I we didn't really get. I didn't really get someone. I mean, did you think there's of anyone no one else? else who fits those that criteria? Really, there's no one who has so much of that kind of mm. avoidance element to it. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe Luna's father, but he doesn't. 
He seems more generally nervous, not socially anxious. Yeah. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, you know, that that sort of, you know, when you see people with severe mental illness, like with a psychosis or something, they're kind of, there's like a nervousness generally. Mm. Yeah. Rather than limited to yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I think he's the closest to. Yeah. But not a great fit. Mm. Okay. Next one. All right, dependent. Mm -hmm. So this personality disorder is a pattern of submissive and clinging behaviour related to an excessive need to be taken care of. <laughs> I just remembered who you can talk about. <laughs> yep. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Wormtail. Or? Or Peter Pettigrew. Yeah. Or Scabbers. Or Scabbers. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So he spends, you know, the first few movies and books as a rat. 13 years, I think. Yep. He's spending 13 years living with Ron as his pet rat mm -hmm. before then he's kind of discovered and has to be and is turned back into a human. Uh, he's voluntarily a rat, I should say. It's not something that's happened to him. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so he's an animagus? He right? is, yeah. And so I would say that he meets most of the criteria. The mm -hmm. first one is having difficulty making everyday decisions without an excessive amount of advice and reassurance with others. Mm -hmm. By the time that he's with Ron, he doesn't have to make any everyday decisions. Yep. That's all taken care of. And then once he's with Voldemort, he consistently defers to him. Mm. It's just... Everything comes back to what do you want, my lord? Uh, he needs reassurance from others to assume responsibility for ma most major areas of his life, which is mm -hmm. the second criteria. Yep. There's two of, he needs to get five. Yep. So whilst in hiding, he's cared for completely. There's nothing he has to do. And once back with Voldemort, there's really not much that he has to lead. Like he, he leads one element of sort of bringing Voldemort back to life, but he's coached in what to do. Mm, mm. Yeah. And he does it quite willingly. Yeah. Yeah. The third one is difficulty expressing disagreement with others because of fear of loss of support or approval. It's not included if there's realistic fears of retribution. <laughs> and I feel like this one probably doesn't apply given that Voldemort does torture him and you know, yeah. make him chop off parts of his body and, he and does, things. Look, he does express disagreement but he immediately cowers afterwards. Yeah, he cowers. Yeah. Yeah. The next one I think probably fits is that, you know, he has difficulty initiating projects or doing things <laughs> on his own. <laughs> he, you know, he doesn't really initiate anything. Mm -hmm. We don't see anything that's kind of his own plan. Everything's guided by someone yeah, it's else. A, it's, a, it's a lack of self-confidence and judgment rather than a lack of motivation. Yeah. Because yeah, like, he motivation. does stuff once he's told to. Yeah. yeah. Goes to excessive lengths to obtain nurturance and support from others to the point of volunteering to do things that are unpleasant. Such as cutting your arm off. Such as cutting your arm off, cutting your finger off, living as a rat. Yeah. There's, that all fits. Feels uncomfortable or helpless when alone uh, because of exaggerated fears of being unable to care for himself mm -hmm. or herself. I'm not sure you... you well, you see him alone. At, there's one point where he's alone, really, in the mm -hmm. entire thing, and that's when he's he's discovered, turns back into Peter Pettigrew, mm -hmm. and then he immediately runs to Voldemort to try mm -hmm. and find him. Well, so I think that that, that more so goes to number seven. More goes is, to number seven. Which but is like urgently seeking another relationship as a source of care and support when a close relationship ends. Exactly. Relationship goes ends wrong. wrong. Voldemort. Yeah. But is he, like, what drives that? You could argue it's that one. It might not be that, but it's hard to know if you don't see him on his own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And then the last one is unrealistically preoccupied with fears of being left to take care of himself or, or herself. It's not explicitly stated, but given that he lives a life of being tortured rather than on his own and seeks it out. So, you know, at the point where he seeks out Voldemort, everybody else has kind of set up their own lives, apart from Bellatrix, who's in prison, pining. But otherwise, everyone's yeah. kind of done their own thing. He continues to pursue that, even though he knows that in the past he's been tortured by Voldemort and there's been whole, it's got that kind of abusive relationship dynamic. Yeah, yeah. But he's, it suggests that this sort of fear, like that's preferable to being on his own. Yeah. 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 So I'd say, I'd say he fits. Yeah. I mean, like even with a couple of ones, like I'm not so sure about the last one, but you know, even the couple of ones, it definitely gets, he, he meets the criteria for yeah. all five. So. And he's got that interesting mix for dependent of kind of, Clinging and submissive, but then getting other people to do what you want. Yeah. That kind of like, has that. Because like Ron Ron talks about hating him. Yeah. Like, oh, and then like when Crookshanks is threatening him in Azkaban, yeah. in the book of Azkaban. He's defending he's him. He's like totally defensive. Yeah. And hates Crookshanks. And even when Sirius is trying to kill him or whatever, he's protecting yeah. him. And yeah. 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 So yeah, it's, it's, it was interesting because we were like, oh, no one fits, no one fits, no one fits this guy. And eventually we're like, oh, Wormtail. Worm <laughs> like, <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So the last, last one. So the last one is uh, Amy Nye's. Uh, favorite mm. um, personality disorder, obsessive compulsive personality disorder. So this is a pervasive pattern of preoccupation, triple P's, with orderliness, perfectionism, and see they could have like they could have put the, the P first. Like so, DSM authors like DSM six. It should be the pervasive pattern of preoccupation with, with perfectionism, perfectionism <laughs> orderliness, yeah. Yeah. orderliness, yeah. and mental. We'll join a committee. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm going to write a letter <laughs> at the expense of flexibility. All we want is the P's all lined up. <laughs> Doesn't say that we've got OCP at all. <laughs> um, so this is at the expense of flexibility, openness, and efficiency. Yeah, the GSM would work far better <laughs> if all the P's were lined up. <laughs> no need to change the criteria or the treatment, just the P's. <laughs> oh god. So um, uh, let me bring it back. So I so. Um, obsessive compulsive personality disorder is different to OCD, right? Have a listen to the, we've done two pods on OCPD, mm. but if you think when someone says, oh, I'm a little bit OCD, what you're actually I mean, meaning is OCPD, right? So it's sort of like anal retentiveness, desire mm. for control, that kind of stuff. So I'm not so sure that we can definitively diagnose anyone in the no. series with this one. My two candidates are Severus Snape and Percy Weasley. So you need to have four or more. I'm really just going to talk about Snape. Mm-hmm. So uh, preoccupied with detail, rules, lists, order, organisation, schedules to the extent that the major point of activity is lost. I wonder whether there's like a trait level like because mm. he's able to complete potions, yeah. right? Like so he doesn't get stuck. Yeah. But... You do see he's got a really organised cupboard. But then also that's kind of consistent with chemists. Like yeah. you have to have that stuff organised. It's kind right. of, but also it's not pathological. OCPD is <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's chemistry. <laughs> um, so shows perfectionism in the interviews with task completion? Mm. I don't think so. Like no. Excessively devoted to work and productivity to the exclusion of other leisure activities and friendships? Mm. Possible. You know, does he have a life outside of potions or wanting to be dark arts teacher? No. I'm not sure. And, well, you often also see him in sort of like after hours and things like that helping people with potions. Yeah. Like, you know, they call on him for various things or he's in his 
kind of potions. But then wouldn't that just be like a boarding school thing? Like, I don't Possibly. know. Possibly. I don't know. You don't see him having fun. No. no. Uh, overconscientious, scrupulous, inflexible about matters of morality, ethics and values. I, I don't think you, we could say either way. Mm. Unable to discard worn out or worthless objects, even if they have no sentimental value. Look, I don't know. I mean, he seems pretty neat. But mm. then, you know, he keeps an empty vial to yeah. like show Harry. He always wears the same clothes. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, adopts a miserly spending style towards both self and others. Money's viewed as something to be hoarded for future catastrophes. Like he's always wearing black, yeah. the same black robes. Yeah. <laughs> even the flashback post Lily's death, he's yep. wearing the same bloody outfit. But even actually when he's a kid, he's wearing all black. <laughs> like, like he's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it. that's it. It's just like straight up. So yeah. you know, uh, you know, maybe that's it. Uh, rigid, shows rigidity and stubbornness. Yeah. So you know, rigid about the rules of behaviour to students, unable to give Harry the benefit of the doubt. Mm. Mind you, Harry actually is always up to something. Yeah, so, so you look, you know, four possible. I'd say probably trait level. Mm. You know, Snape, victim of bullying by James Potter. Yeah. The scene when Harry peers into Snape's. Yeah. But also the implication that he was ostracized by the muggle world hmm. in the Deathly Hallows. Yeah. So, you know, uh, like I don't think it's a full blown no. thing. You'd wanna you'd wanna have a better It's probably with just him. sort of preferences that are that then has meant that he's taken up a career that's kind of fostered those yeah. things. And then it it's not disordered. No, he's functional. Yeah, he's functional. Yeah. Like, in both what it appears to the world he should be doing and then his kind of side plan. But like sort of socially he's, he's you know, he's a complicated individual. Like yeah. he can interact with the teachers. Yeah. But he's not well liked. No. He's no. respected. Yeah. Yeah. But he's also... Lupin's quite warm to him. Yeah. Well, well in front of Harry anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But he's often kind of doubted. And he's sort of respected for some things and then there are other things where he's kind of dismissed mm-hmm. or devalued. He's, a, he's a absolutely fascinating and, and really well-written character. Yeah. The other one that I had was Percy Weasley. So mm. rid, he seems just rigid and stubborn, over-conscientious, inflexible, sort of yeah. like that. And it kind of fits with him them going into the ministry and stuff like that and that he's not able to see other perspectives outside the rules. Yeah. Like he, you know, disconnects from his family because they're not following the rules. Yeah. Like there's lots of that sort yeah, of... Yeah, he becomes head boy. Like yeah. It's kind of interesting because like I'd imagine that's a pretty highly esteemed position hmm. even if you do sort of poke fun at somebody. Yeah. But like like I've sort of been, you know, researching for the pod and kind of like, you know, that's... If, if you are the captain of, of a prestigious mm. school, yeah. like that's a big deal. It's a big deal. And it's not really played upon. So no. it's interesting. No, like it's not. It must be pretty annoying. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, so all ready right. for the uh, so th- final quiz? So, thank you everyone for listening. That's the that's all the personality sorters. Mm-hmm. Uh, final quiz: mm-hmm. uh, spells. Okay. Okay. Do you know your spells? The ones I need. All right. Is it Wingardium Leviosa or Leviosa? <laughs> Wingardium Leviosa. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what does Hermione make levitate? Uh, in which? In the first one, the first time you see them do it. Uh, a Feather. A white feather, yeah. yeah. Which main character in the first movie does not cast a spell? Harry. Harry. Why would you cast Expecto Patronum? To conjure a Patronus to ward off a Dementor. Dementor. What is Harry's Patronus? It's a stag. Is it the same as his dad's? Yeah. 
What was Harry's mum's Patronus? Oh, no, it's not an otter. That's Hermione's. It's the same as Snape's. It's... Is it a doe? It's a doe. Yeah. Yeah. And it, well, my next question was what was Snape's? Yeah, a doe. And that, and that was because he loved yeah. Lily. What's Luna's Patronus? Huh. It's a small creature. Yep. Hmm. Can't remember. It's a hare. Hmm. And Dolores Umbridge's. Oh. It's so obvious. A cat. Yeah, it's a cat. Okay. Who teaches transfiguration? McGonagall. What do you cast to get rid of a boggart? Uh, ridiculous. Yep. What's the spell to open locks? Alohomora. What is Harry's trademark spell? Expelliarmus. How do you wipe people's memories? Oh, I can see her doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you can literally see her. All right. Obliviate? Yeah. Who does it backfire on? Uh, Lockhart. A Snape spell for use on enemies? Um, oh, it's the, it's the slashing one. Yeah. Um, starts with starts with S. S. Yeah, Serpentcentra or something oh, like close. that. Oh, close. Sectumcentra. Mm. Who's on the receiving end? Uh, In Deathly Hallows. Uh, he, he, yeah. he says he's holy. He's spiritual. Yeah, it's, he's holy. it's Fred or George. Yeah, George Weasley. Yeah. You thought he loses an ear and yeah. they can't get it back because yeah. it was cast by dark magic. Name the three unforgivable curses Crucio. Yep. Um, Avada Kedavra. Yep. Imperio. Yep. Last question Name the Horcruxes. <laughs> oh, okay. So there's the diary. Yep. There's the diadem. Oh, yep. Rowena Ravenclaws. Yep. Yeah. There's the ring. Tom Riddle's mother's ring. Yep. There's the locket. Salvador Slytherin's locket. Yep. Ron kills that one. There's yep. Harry. Yep. And there's Nagini. Yep. And there's one more. Hang on. That should be... That's seven, isn't it? Yep. There's one more, though. What am I missing? They get it from the Lestrange vault. Oh, the cup. Yeah, the gold cup. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you have done exceptionally well. <laughs> Thank you. Five points for Ravenclaw. <laughs> um, so, look, thank you all for listening. Mm. It's been fun. It's been fun. So if you like the show, please rate and review the show. If you like the show, also like let us know on Twitter or Gmail, mm. uh, at gmail.com. Yeah. We if really want to do a, a kids one and kind of the access one disorders, so stuff around like, you know, trauma and yeah. anxiety and Who's, stuff like that. Which, which, which of the teachers got bipolar disorder? Exactly. So we, there's we, a lot to talk about. There's a lot to talk about. So uh, let us know and we will do it again. Uh, also, final question. Mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling wrote the series. Mm-hmm. What does the J and K stand for? Joanna or Joanne. Joanne. Yeah. Kathleen. Kathleen. <laughs> so, um, so Amy and I would like to say, J.K., if you're listening, we absolutely loved your series and yes. loved the movie. So thank you very much. Yeah. And uh, thanks for very much for listening to Two Shrinks Thank Pod. you very much. Can we turn the microphones off with Knox? Does that work? <laughs> I want to get my iPhone to like put the um the torch on by saying do more <laughs> <laughs>